This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. Usually before the sun comes up, I offer myself to something greater than myself. If it's for one minute, 20 seconds, or 10 minutes, I at least stop in that space in my house every morning. I have a little meditation space where I just go. I have uh, beautiful spiritual readings there. I light my three candles there, daily word or something. And I express to this greater energy field than I that I don't want to be alone as I move out into the world. That's Oprah Winfrey talking about her morning meditation. She's been practicing her own self-made spirituality for decades now. Here is a headline from the Free Press. Can you find God in a bikini in a city where religion is dead? The young search for a higher power in a sauna with Diplo. Diplo is a Grammy Award-winning DJ. They do primal screaming, then they go poolside. Is this just a new form of paganism or an old form of paganism? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Why is a story about a bunch of celebrities and semi-celebrities and celebrity-adjacent Californians hanging out in a sauna and poolside news? Well, it's... Not just news in California, the article stresses that these are now taking place around the world. It's news because it's linked to one of the most important trends in contemporary America, not just contemporary American religion, and that is the growth of people who are openly unaffiliated with any traditional form of religion. So just we're still at the stage, validly so, I think, that the word none, you know, in the headline is still valid. I mean, it's it's still important when you're dealing with something that within a generation or two could replace some form of Christianity as the majority religious perspective in America. That's huge. Now, are all nuns, and nothing in particulars summed up in this story, and of course not. And what makes this particular group of people important is that they are kind of the white-collar elite of this world of post-Christian spirituality. But all of that is hard for me to even deal with when I read a story like this, because the press doesn't seem to realize that this specific trend, this news story, if you just change the names and you change some of the activities, this story has been with us since the mid-1980s. And I actually got into teaching at Denver Theological Seminary 30-plus years ago, largely in reaction to stories of this kind that I was reading in the press, and a man that I consider one of the two most important 
religion writers in the mainstream press. He wrote for the Los Angeles Times. One of the two most important religion writers of the late 20th century, his name is Russell Chandler, and he wrote a book called Understanding the New Age. And one of the big ideas of a book researched in the 80s was that the New Age wasn't new. The New Age is actually the return of the Old Age. In other words, of forms of religion that precede the Judeo-Christian worldview being considered somehow normative in both the Western and the Eastern Christian worlds. So I don't even know where to start with this, but I, th I think the following will help. The, in addition to reading Understanding the New Age, the other book that I tried to get seminary students to read and to understand its importance was a book called A Return to Love, Reflections on the Principles of A Course in Miracles. And A Course in Miracles was a pivotal New Age text from the 70s, not the 80s, the 70s. And it was an attempt to basically take elements of Hinduism, Buddhism, Wicca, and a host of different non-Trinitarian, to say the least, faiths, but express them in religious language that would be comfortable to a Christian culture. In other words, to use God talk and even Jesus talk in ways that church people might use it, but all the while stressing a message that there is no such thing as sin, Sin is really just when you make decisions that make you feel bad or hurt you in some way, which is close enough to be dangerous. And anyway, the woman who wrote this bestseller, this national bestseller, was Marianne Williamson, a young woman at the heart of this New York, L.A. culture. And Marianne Williamson quickly became the spiritual advisor to another important American emerging in that period of time by the name of Oprah Winfrey. And within a decade or two, you had Oprah in front of large audiences of women surrounding herself with candles and talking about how she grew up in the church and now she has broader views of God and that now she prays to the universe. And all of this is coming from Marianne Williamson. So here's your, your quick pop test. Who is Marianne Williamson today? Well, she was a, if I'm not mistaken, a Donald Trump supporter. No, you are mistaken. Marianne Williamson is a Democratic Party candidate for president. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yes. And this is her second try at it. She doesn't seem to have a lot of traction, but I've always argued that she isn't running for president. She's running for cabinet. She's running maybe for vice president, but she's running to be on the cabinet of the White House. She's trying to get her beliefs all the way to the highest levels of American government. She was important 30 years ago with her book. She was important 20 years ago with her powerful influence on Oprah Winfrey, another person frequently discussed by Democrats as a long-shot candidate to be president of the United States. And now she's important as a political thinker 
in the modern Democratic Party. So is any of this news? You tell me. I mean, Russell Chandler, when I interviewed him, eight years after he wrote Understanding the New Age, Russ Chandler told me something that is very, very important. And so let me read you the top of a column I wrote in 1994. And at that point, this was already an old trend, a decade old. So here's how I opened that column. The typical bookstore in a shopping mall is one of the only places in American life where the latest trends are rounded up, neatly arranged on shelves, and then labeled. A few years ago, most bookstores had a new age section. Today, this is rare, but it doesn't mean that the wave of religious trends that crested in the 1980s simply vanished. Truth is, it soaked in. Quote, you don't see New Age shelves anymore because you can find New Age books in almost every part of the store, said Russell Chandler, an award-winning religion writer best known for his 18 years at the Los Angeles Times. They're in the psychology section. They're over in the women's shelf. You'll find them under self-help, stress, holistic health, and the environment. The day of New Age cover stories in news magazines may have passed, but that's beside the point. New Age faith, said Chandler, has become so visible that it's now all but invisible. So, is this story important? Yes, it's been important for 40 years. Is this a story that journalists take serious? Well, that they write about it. Each of these new incarnations pop up about every decade or so, and they produce, I think, valid stories because you're dealing with powerful people, in this case at the heart of a lot of what we would now call big tech. Certainly it remains alive and well in Hollywood. You have leaders in this movement competing for very important positions in the U.S. government, in higher education, etc. You have all of that. But what disturbs me the most is that today this is still something that far too many mainstream religious leaders have a tendency to kind of wave their hand in the air and say, it's just a fad. It will never last. And what they're essentially saying is that Gnosticism is just a fad. It'll never last. Even though it is one of the most powerful forces the church has been debating since the first century of Christianity. What do you make of the free press story itself? Oh, it's solid. It has all kinds of fascinating stuff in it. And it's a you can see over and over the trends that are at the heart of this. Now, in a previous podcast that you and I did over a year ago, Religion News Service offers a new story about that old trend towards Sheilaism. I think it might help to remind our listeners of what the term Sheila ism means. And once again, it's something that goes back to the 1980s when the sociologist Robert N. Bella started interviewing people 
about how they define their lives and their faith and how they make decisions. And this quote is legendary among people who study religion in the United States. Here's a quote that Robert Bella wrote down in a conversation with a woman named Sheila. I can't remember the last time I went to church, she said. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. It's just my own little voice. The goal was to, quote, love yourself and be gentle with yourself. I think God would want us to take care of each other, unquote. And this became the whole movement that for 40 years we have referred to as spiritual but not religious. Now, do you hear any of that in the Free Press article? The whole thing, here's a sample from the founder of Secular Sabbath, which is the movement that is being discussed in this piece. The founder, Genevieve Meadow Lincolns, who was raised Jewish, and she talks about how some members of her family, Orthodox Jewish family background, would not eat with her because she had a Subway sandwich that wasn't kosher. It was so negative for me because it was so rule-bound. And I knew when I created Secular Sabbath, I didn't want to have many rules. I wanted it to feel like you could be in any version of something and still be included. Jumping down a bit, she does steer clear from any connections to Western religions like Christianity and instead borrows from Eastern traditions because people are more open to it. More than anything, she wants to dispel the idea that God is uncool. In American culture, we're so disconnected from feeling passionately about things, it's terrifying to care. People are so afraid to feel into spirituality. Now, you could have spoken those exact words in classes linked to A Course in Miracles in the 1970s. Marianne Williamson in the 80s and 90s, Oprah Winfrey over the last couple of decades, and every single word of that would still apply. It's safe to say that this is a white-collar, some people call it yoga-based, approach to religion. And the key to it is no rules that limit your private life. None of that icky Judeo-Christian and Islamic, of course, material about sex and family and marriage. and It's all about feeling your own inner light. What was that great phrase from Sheilaism? It's just my own little voice. That's what this is all about, and it's one of the dominant worldviews in American life today. And this story beautifully illustrates it. I was reading a interview with Ryan Bird, you know who I'm talking about, Terry, recently, and he was asked the question about kind of the the stereotype of the nun, which is well-educated, kind of millennial thing, and he said that applies if you're talking about the segment of the nuns that are atheists. They're generally well-educated and have higher than average income, but he said, well, I'll just read a little bit what he said to you, because these folks, and he's speaking here about the nun of the aboves, these folks are not doing well from a socioeconomic standpoint. They are the least educated religious group in America today. About half atheists have a four-year college degree. Only 25% of nothing in particulars have a college degree. 60% of nothing in particulars make less than $50,000 a year as a household. And a third of the nothing in particulars have a high school diploma or less and make 
less than $50,000 a year. That breaks the stereotype, but makes me wonder whether this kind of spa brand of spirituality transfers to that segment of the nuns. Well, I mean, first of all, Ryan and I are both very careful now to separate discussing the nuns from discussing the nothing in particulars. And it's precisely for the reason that you just read him talking about. We had a tendency to use the word nun to refer to everybody when you were dealing with radically different segments of the American population. And the atheist agnostic, the spa dwellers in LA, the people in big tech, that is not the people from broken families, shattered lives, opioid addiction, unemployment, in blue collar, Midwest, and the Sun Belt, the Bible Belt. These are two completely different phenomena that often in the press get combined into one number because they want to make the number as big as possible. And I, I'm totally okay with that as long as people are really clear. So I guess your question, let me restate it to me and tell me if, you, if I got it. Do the nuns that are in this article at the Free Press, do the nuns have any real impact on the world of the nothing in particulars and the other side of this equation? Is that your question? Yeah, essentially, does this kind of yoga with some God talk thrown in, does that appeal to the nothing in particulars in, in any way? Well, it does when it shows up in video games. It does when it shows up in kind of the half-Christian, half-pagan spirituality of the Marvel comic universe. It certainly appealed to them when New Age takes on Hinduism or Buddhism, shaped the world of Star Trek, and to some degree, the good force versus the bad force material of Star Wars. In other words, the folks who are in the spa are at the heart of the most powerful forms of media in American life, which is entertainment media, much more than news media. Entertainment media, it pains me to say this again, is way more important and way more powerful than news. And I would argue that that even shows up during our campaigns for the White House and stuff like that. So anyway, what filters down from the elite world of the nuns is this kind of overarching trust your feelings, you've been wronged, maybe you need to change your identity in order to somehow get out of all your problems. Maybe that's your gender identity, your sexual identity, your political identity, your religious identity. Spirituality is good, but you know that all that dogma stuff, that's terrible and will do nothing but bring you down. Which brings me to the other book that I read at the exact same time, probably within a month or two of each other, along with Marianne Williamson's Return to Love, was James Davison Hunter's book, Culture Wars, which I'm sure many of our listeners think I must receive some sort of <laughs> payment from the publishers every time I mention this book. But it really had a major impact on my life. And if you remember, the thesis of Culture Wars is that America is no longer divided between Protestants and Catholics, Jews and Muslims, etc. America is divided 
according to James Davison Hunter, a sociologist of religion, between the camp of the Orthodox and the camp of the progressives. And the camp of the Orthodox believes that there are such things as eternal, transcendent, revealed truths, and that these things don't change. Now, what makes it somewhat confusing is that when you get a bunch of Orthodox Jews, Evangelical Protestants, Eastern Orthodox priests, conservative Roman Catholics, some members of Islam, etc., when you get them all in the room, they don't agree on what the absolute truths may be, although they may overlap a lot on issues of marriage, family life, raising children, and the sorts of things that create newsworthy coalitions protesting at schools in Maryland over issues of gender studies, being classes their children have to take and cannot be exempted from. It's another topic we've talked about. That's the camp of the Orthodox. The camp of the progressives are the people who believe that truth is personal, evolving, and is based on your feelings. And if you follow your own little inner voice, you will be led to the truth for you. It may be different from other people's truth, but your truth is what matters. And your truth is what, you know, what you're looking for. And then you look for that in popular culture. You look for it in music. You look for it in literature. You look for it everywhere. You look for it everywhere except established traditional transcendent forms of religion. So now can you see how that links to the spa and to a lot of other stories that we've talked about many times here in these broadcasts? The free press story, how does it tie into the first thing's column that's titled, We Are Repaganizing? Yeah, it's, it, we are repaganizing is simply a more formal statement of how this all is framed in history and in philosophy, in ancient religions, and how a lot of this is coming back and the impact it has on popular life. And it's that article at First Things was written by a woman who's written a very important book in part, here we go, full circle, because of its impact on the editors of the free press. And her name is Louise Perry, and she wrote a book called The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. Now, Todd, life doesn't get more ironic than a New York liberal, lesbian, married journalist who was run off from the New York Times because of her defense of free speech. When that woman is suddenly so interested, we're talking about Barry Weiss, of course, so interested in this book, A Case Against the Revolution, that the free press stages a debate on whether the sexual revolution was a positive force in American life, and in particular did have a positive effect on women, women, children, and their families. And that debate was held by the organizers of the free press, not a seminary, not just to pick on a place, Wheaton College, the Billy Graham Center, or not at, I would expect it to be debated at some place like Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. But if the free press can grasp the religious significance of this trend and listen to voices such as Perry and the book, The Case Against the Sexual Revolution, 
why aren't we hearing about this in our churches? Why aren't future MDivs learning how to decode these messages in their seminaries? At Denver Theological Seminary, one day it just slapped me in the face that I was dealing with MDiv students who had taken apologetics. And if they were introduced to a Hindu scholar from India and were to debate him or her on the truth of Hinduism, they would know how to debate a Hindu or Buddhist leader or scholar. But they couldn't see the exact same ideas when they showed up in front of their children in Star Trek, which was explicitly an entire worldview in popular culture that began with the belief that all truth is essentially not transcendent, it's cultural, and the prime directive is you can't run around changing people's truths. And this was written by an ex-Catholic who had turned to Eastern religion. So this is an old, 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 even ancient story. But it is evergreen in American life because of its connection to mass technology, to popular culture, to entertainment, and to some of the media forces in our life that, sadly, there's no evidence whatsoever that most homes that call themselves conservative Christian have any different lives than the rest of the culture when it comes to the popular culture they consume and whether they think about it, and they'll get zero help from their churches and established religion. So is this an important story? Yes, it's been an important story for at least 40 years, and that's just the most recent incarnation of what really is an ancient battle between traditional forms of religion on the Judeo-Christian, and once again, I must mention Islam, side of transcendent truth versus other forms of world religions that are not, don't hold out transcendent truths. Here we go again. Terry Mattingly, a senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.